This is my story. This is my song. God and our Heavenly Father, each one of us has a story. Each one of us has a time in our lives when we encountered the Lord Jesus, and our lives have never been the same since. We thank you for reaching out to us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be disciples, to declare to others, to testify of what you have done and to praise you. We ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, minister to our needs. Um, Each one of us has different needs. We thank you that you're able to meet them all. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In our youth Sunday school, uh, we are learning the principles of personal Bible study. A very fruitful activity. Kind of gotten uh, through that activity. We've considered a number of things, including the importance of context, both historical and cultural context. Uh, We've learned that there are three core steps when it comes to Bible study. Uh, Most of the, the students here should know that and be familiar with that. There is observation, interpretation, and then application. Um, So with your permission this morning, I'd like to use that framework uh, as we study this passage that we're going to look at this morning, which is found in John chapter 9. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at verses 24 to 34. And my hope is that As we explore this passage, it not only speaks to our own hearts, which of course we're guaranteed that the Word of God will do, but that it's also going to be an object lesson for our youth class as well. Let's start with talking a little bit about the context. If you've been here through most of October, you know that we have been camping out in John chapter 9 through most of the month of October. John chapter 9 begins with the Lord Jesus giving sight to a man who was born blind. And the rest of the chapter really focuses on some interactions, conversations, discourses, dialogues between that man and various other groups. So now let's make some observations. Okay? So the man we're going to talk about this morning, this man who had been born blind, he has already given a witness or a testimony twice. He has given a testimony to his neighbors. And those neighbors really had a difficult time receiving his testimony. You see, their mental model, their understanding or vision of this man was a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road asking for alms. And so they have a real difficulty, a real challenge trying to warp that mental model to fit this person who is standing in front of them who is obviously can see, right? His second witness is to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, uh, both at the beginning and the end, are not at all convinced that this man was ever blind. So then the Pharisees go and interrogate his parents who confirm, this is our son, and yes, he was born blind. That's about as far as they go, but they do confirm that. Now this man was present during the interrogation, so he knows that the Pharisees have an agenda, have a bias against the Lord Jesus. And then the final observation we'll make is, some time has passed since then, not a lot of time, but some time has passed, so he's had an opportunity 
to think, to ponder about what has happened to him, what's about the Lord Jesus. Um, so he's had some time to think about these things. So that brings us to where we are this morning. We're going to look at, again, John chapter 9, verses 24 to 34. And that documents the man's third and final testimony. That's what we're going to read this morning. And really, what an amazing testimony it is. I'm going to tell you that we are going to be challenged this morning. Okay, this is a challenging passage. This is a challenging testimony. Um, particularly when we consider two things. If you've been here, um, you've been, you know that the Pharisees have made it known that anyone who confesses the Lord Jesus is going to be excommunicated, going to be put out of the synagogue. And last week, if you were here, uh, our brother John Tillery provided some details about what the significance of that is. We should not hold that as a light thing. It's not a trivial thing. It was not a trivial thing back then. We might think of excommunication as not a big deal, but back then it was a big deal. So this was not a light thing that they were threatening. And they had the authority to carry it out. This was not an idle threat. So let's go ahead on the screen or you can follow along in your Bibles. John chapter 9, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, that is the man, whether he's a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So Bible.org, some of you are familiar with that website, says this, The Pharisees had the evidence of the neighbors, the parents, and the man himself that he had been born blind, and that Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath. But they still wanted more evidence, or more truthfully, they wanted evidence that would refute the evidence that they had been given, which they did not like. So they called the man a second time and said, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. What they're saying essentially is, Come on, your story must be wrong. Tell us the truth. We know for a fact this man is a sinner. So there's nothing wrong with giving glory to God. It's obvious that this miracle was a manifestation of divine power. Only God has the ability to give sight to a man who is born blind. 
Now, if the Pharisees had followed the clear line of evidence and recognized Jesus as the agent of this miracle, well, they would have come to the very logical conclusion that this man comes to at the end of this passage, which is that Jesus is from God. But they wouldn't go there. They were not willing to go there. Our brother John mentioned last week, you know, they had formed their opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only facts that they would consider or entertain were the ones that confirmed that opinion. Anything else was not worthy of their consideration. So what they're trying here is the same approach that they tried with his parents, essentially intimidate him into recanting, into reversing his previous testimonies. How would you respond? You know, how would I respond if we faced that kind of intimidation. This is really bullying. That's what's going on here. Now, have you ever felt threatened when you want to give a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever held back from giving a witness because of intimidation? Now, if that happens, you know, don't feel bad. It's okay. God does not hold that against you. But my hope is that as we look at this passage and we study this man's response, that you will have boldness if the, ever opportunity, if the opportunity ever comes in the future, that you will have the boldness to give that witness. So when you first look at this man's response, uh, he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Now that may appear on the surface to be cowardice, to be weak. But you know what? I don't, I don't really think that is the case. If you look th throughout the passage, if you read through the rest of the passage, uh, this is not a man who is fearful. You know, it's kind of ironic. The Pharisees begin by saying, give glory to God. Well, the man does exactly that by defying the Pharisees, all right? Bible.org says this, John, that is John the Apostle, wants us to see that this man is really glorifying God by testifying to the truth. You know, I think his response, uh, this is interpretation on my part, I think his response is really comes out of humility. He doesn't want to make assertions, he doesn't want to contradict the Pharisees on something that he is not known for sure. He's only met Jesus once, he's not going to contradict them on that, but notice that he is very firm on what he knows. He knows that he has experienced a miracle. He knows that he was blind, but now he can see. There's no hesitation about giving a testimony on that fact. And you know, that's a great place to start. You and I can honestly testify to the way that God has worked, the way that the Lord Jesus has worked in our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul used that approach over and over again. Let's take a look at one of those examples this is from the book of Acts, chapter 22. We'll just read verses 6 to 10. You can follow along. Acts, chapter 6, verse 22. He says this, I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
Now these who are with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Now throughout his life, the Apostle Paul made a point of remembering who he was before the Lord Jesus met him and the change that the Lord Jesus affected in his life. Now, nobody else could have affected that change if you read the testimony of, of the Apostle Paul. Now he was a great theologian. The Apostle was a great theologian, a great orator, but the most effective witness, the most effective testimony he had was when he simply shared about how the Lord Jesus had worked in his life. Now granted, you and I may not have the kind of dramatic testimony that this blind man has. We may not have the kind of witness that the Apostle Paul can speak of. But you know, we can all share about how the Lord Jesus has worked in our lives. That's a way that we can all, that's a testimony that each one of us can give. Now I may be reading something in his response. He says, I was blind, but now I see. Now, I may be reading something in there in that uh, response that isn't there, but I see an implication in that man's testimony. What caused that change? Something caused that change. That man was blind from the time he was born, but something happened to change that. Before Jesus, he was blind. After meeting Jesus, he could see. You know, Jesus was instrumental to that change. There's really no escaping that fact. And he is subtly pointing out not only that, but he's pointing out a pretty glaring inconsistency. The Pharisees start off with, we know this man is a sinner. But he knows this man healed him. There is a definitely an inconsistency there. He's pointing that out. Now, a sinner, when they talk about being a sinner, you know, it's not just somebody who makes a mistake and messes up once in a while. A sinner is somebody who intentionally, repeatedly violates the law of God, who has no concern, no regard for the law of God, no regard for God. Someone like that, God is going to use that person to do a miracle? Does that make any sense? He doesn't say it, but this is what he presents. And you know what? This is a really a wonderful technique, right? You don't have to actually argue or refute what somebody's saying. You can just point out well, here's a little inconsistency in what you're saying. Have you thought about that? So have you ever been in a situation where you are trying to refute or deny something that is obviously true? You know, maybe you said a lie, maybe you did something that you were not supposed to, and you are trying desperately to avoid responsibility, to avoid having to admit the truth. That's the situation that the Pharisees now find themselves in. Okay? They have to explain how God, or why, God used a sinner, right? Someone who violates his law to do a miracle, like giving sight to a man who was born blind. So they've already tried very hard by this time to disprove that a miracle even happened. They have worked hard. They have interrogated and questioned this man, his parents. But the evidence is overwhelming. 
the evidence of the neighbors, the evidence of this man, the evidence of the parents. So there's no dispute. A miracle has happened. This man was blind, and now he can see. Okay? So what's the only option? The only option left to them is to somehow disprove that the Lord Jesus was the one who performed the miracle. So they asked the man, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I think what they're, they're saying there, or what they're trying to accomplish there is, they're hoping that this man trips up. Somehow he says something and his testimony is either inconsistent or they can poke holes in it somehow and show, aha, it wasn't Jesus. It happened, but it wasn't him. Now, people will use similar tactics. I think it's important for us to understand this because people will use similar tactics. If they can, they will try to deny the supernatural. You know, it was just coincidence. It was just natural forces. You know, or maybe it was just, it was just your effort, right? It wasn't God. But if that isn't possible, then they'll try to poke holes in your testimony and try to show that it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't him. So how do you respond? How do you respond when somebody tries to use that tactic on you? Okay. Well, you have to admire this man's tactic. His response is, you know, I already told you, and you, you didn't listen. Right? So you see what he's doing. He is just sidestepping the question sidestepping the question, and he is pivoting from defense to offense, right? Very clever on his part. So you, you don't necessarily have to respond to every question that people shoot at you when you're giving a testimony, when you're testifying for the Lord, when they sort of fire off these missiles, you don't necessarily have to address or respond to each one. This man sidestepped that question and he realized that this is just a diversion. This is just a diversion tactic. This is just something to try to get me off base. And he was not, he, didn't, he wasn't taken in by that diversion. He stayed on course, right? And really what he said was 100% true, right? He had given a clear explanation. He had told them what the Lord Jesus did. He, and they had rejected. They had just said, we don't believe you, essentially. And so he's 100% true. Now, he follows up, and this is really amazing on his part, he follows up with two questions of his own. Notice that. The first question is this, why do you want to hear it again? And the second question is, do you also want to become his disciples? You know, it's often said that when you're engaging people that have a different point of view, maybe not a, a, a debate or a conflict, but you're just engaging them, sometimes a good approach is to just ask them questions. Actually, Dan Kachikas was the one who taught us this in, in, youth, uh, in youth group. For example, somebody comes and says, I don't believe the Bible. It's just full of contradictions. Right? So you ask them. Well, can you point out a contradiction? Can you show me what you consider to be a, a contradiction? So why do we do that? Why do we ask questions? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. First, 
it shows them that you're actually paying attention. You're actually listening to what they're saying, right? And second, you know, if they answer, if they don't get mad and storm off, if they actually answer your question, well, you get some useful information. You get to see what their perspective or their viewpoint is, right? So you gather some information. And third, it buys you a little bit of time, right? It gives you a little bit of time so you can formulate a good response. So a good idea to ask, ask questions. These questions kind of represent a real fork, you know, in this man's, or a juncture in this man's life. Up until now, right, well, the Pharisees were used to being the ones who asked the questions, okay? It gave them control. They liked being in control. They liked to be the ones that doing the interrogation and asking the questions. And up until now, there was really only one person who ever dared to ask them a question, and that was the Lord Jesus. So in asking this question, this man is effectively elevating himself as a peer. He's elevating himself to their level, right? Now, he probably knew there would be consequences. He knew that this wasn't going to end well, right? But he did it anyway. He just kept on going. Now, the first time you try something like this, it's going to feel uncomfortable, okay? It may feel downright scary. But you know what? It gets easier the second time. Right? So if you think that first question, you know, why do you ask again? Why are you asking again? If you think that question was bold and courageous, here's the second question, okay? Do you also want to be his disciples? Now keep in mind, the Pharisees have initiated this conversation with this pompous assertion, we know this man is a sinner. Do you think, how likely is it that they are going to seriously consider being his disciples? Right? So why ask the question? Is he just naive? Is he intentionally trying to provoke a conflict? Right? What's going on here? So, this is my opinion. I, I I really can't believe this man is just naive. If you look at the exchanges that he has with the Pharisees, this is an intelligent, thoughtful man. Okay? And I don't think he's trying to be intentionally provocational or purposely evoke a conflict. He's not in to get into a, a battle. Okay? It is important here, I think, to pay attention to that word, right? He says, do you also want to be his disciples? That word also, small word, but it has a big significance here, okay? He is communicating to them that either he intends to or he considers himself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Now, he does this, right, knowing that they have issued an ultimatum. Now last week, um, our brother John Tillery mentioned, you know, sometimes we need to make a distinction. We don't want to lump everybody together in the same definition, right? So we have the Pharisees. Obviously, a lot of them are not very amicable towards the Lord Jesus, right? But even within a group like that, you had those who are the overlords and those that are being lorded over, right? 
Example would be Nicodemus. Right? He didn't necessarily go along with everything that his fellow Sanhedrinites or Pharisees uh, were trying to accomplish. So even within that group, there were people there that had open minds. And his testimony would have spoken to them. Right? Um, that he was a disciple. So we don't know exactly where it was, but he made an impact. He was willing to give his testimony, realizing that there was perhaps the bulk of them, most of them, were very um, antagonistic towards the Lord Jesus. But there were some, perhaps, there were some who could be reached. Now what the mar what's marvelous about this is he has come to this decision to be a disciple on his own, right? Um, he's kind of reasoned things out Nobody has invited him to be a disciple. No one has sort of coerced him or tried to force him to become a disciple. He has just come to this decision on his own, knowing full well that the Pharisees are against Jesus. He's standing in their midst and giving witness and testimony. And not only that, but he's also developed a conviction along the way that he needs or he has to, as a disciple, give a witness or testimony for the Lord Jesus when he has the opportunity, okay? How would you like to start off your first testimony is with people who want to kill Jesus? How would you like to start off that way? I wouldn't want to start off that way, but he does. He gives a bold testimony before the Pharisees. Now, you know, at the, at the beginning of this chapter, John chapter 9, the Lord responds to a question. His, his disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the Lord Jesus responds. He says, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, sometimes we look at that wonderful miracle, this man receiving sight who was born blind. That was a great miracle. That was the works of God. But you know what? I think the hidden miracle that is equally as amazing is the way that God uses this man who perhaps had never read the scriptures, perhaps had some religious instruction, his parents may have taught him something, but certainly nothing formal like the Pharisees. He is there rebuking these folks who are learned, who are the experts in the law. And God uses him to rebuke. So what's the outcome? Well, as expected, right, the Pharisees, they respond with scorn and contempt. And they say this, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Now, on the surface, they have a valid argument, right? We know God spoke to Moses. We know that God gave the law to the Israelites through Moses, Jesus himself respected and revered the law. He said, I came not to break the law, but to fulfill it, okay? But the book of Hebrews also reminds us that, that Moses was a servant in the house. The Lord Jesus is the son over the house. The Lord Jesus is greater, inherently greater than Moses could ever be. The Pharisees also say this, we don't know where he comes from. What does that mean? We don't know where he comes from. They, they aren't talking literally there, right? They know that he comes from Nazareth. They know that he is the son of Mary and Joseph. They know enough about his heritage and his background to insinuate that
that his birth was illeg illegitimate. Right? So they know where he comes from. What they're speaking of is figuratively. They're, they're, they're questioning his authority and the validity of his ministry. We don't know where he comes from. Right? He is not affiliated with any rabbinical schools or theological seminaries. They consider themselves to be valid disciples of Moses because they are very diligent in following and practicing the law. As far as, as they saw him, he is a Sabbath breaker. He does not have any regard for the law of Moses. Right? As far as they were concerned, that was the end of the debate, right? You invoke Moses, right? Who's going to speak against Moses, right? So they thought that was over. You know, people use similar tactics today, right? They appeal to a so-called higher authority, greater authority, greater power. And they think that shuts down the debate. Don't give in. Don't be intimidated. I'm not saying enter into a conflict or argument, right? But if there is a way to respond respectfully, do that. Look at this man, right? He was not intimidated. He did not put down Moses. He did not insult them. But he comes back. And this man, I tell you, he has a flair for sarcasm, okay? And irony. Why? This is an amazing thing, he says. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. Now here's how I interpret, okay, in colloquial language, what he's saying here is, so, are you seriously questioning the authority and legitimacy of a man who just gave me sight? Really? Is that what you're doing? And talk about sarcasm. He is copying the very framework, the very terminology, right, that the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, verse 29, we know that God has spoken through Moses. Okay? Look at the parallel in verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Not since the world began has it ever been heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man that has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not, he could do nothing. Now that's about as solid and airtight a case as you can get. Right? You know, here's a man, never read the law, no religious instruction, and yet, with simple reasoning, he is able to figure out that Jesus is from God. Right? So at this point, it, it, I think it's important to kind of infuse a little commentary, right? Um, you know, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is more than just from God, okay? More than just a representative. He is God manifest in the flesh. Uh, the miracles that he did, this one, and then a greater miracle where he, his own resurrection, where he came back from the dead, make it very clear that we are, we're talking about God manifest in the flesh, not just from God, but God himself. Now, I'm not in any way contradicting this man's testimonies. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he was wrong. Um, but at this time, you know, he's just been, just been saved, right? So his understanding is less than complete, right? Um, but what he's saying is absolutely true, but not complete, right? So what's the recourse? What did the Jews do? Well, they do what they had threatened to do, which is excommunicate him, kick him out of the synagogue. 
right? Um, you know, it seems like they have won, but really, really they have lost. Um, so going back to what we started with, I mentioned, you know, there's three steps in Bible study, right? Observation, interpretation, and application. So we've done the observation and the interpretation part, lots of that. Now, the equally important part, the application. Now John, the Apostle John, devotes an entire chapter out of 21 to the story of this man. So you know it's important. He devotes 14 verses to the interactions or exchanges between him and the Pharisees. So this is important. Right? Why is this passage in the Word of God? We have to ask ourselves. When we think about application, why is this passage here? What is it that the Holy Spirit is communicating through the Apostle John to us, to the readers initially, right, at that time, and then to us. So I'd like to suggest that there are three sort of general principles that, that he is communicating here. First, to make it clear that those who have encountered the Lord Jesus, that he's worked in their lives, have an obligation to become disciples and to testify to others about Jesus. That's one, right? Become disciples testify to others. Second, that those who do so, those who do confess the Lord Jesus, will face opposition. There's going to be opposition, and to make them aware of the kinds of tactics that the opposition will take. Okay, that's two. And then third, to encourage them to stand their ground, not be intimidated, and then also provide some practical examples of of how do you respond to some of these tactics. I think there's those, those three principles that are there. You know, the uh, amazing example of this man who was willing to stand up, right? The first opportunity that he had, he was willing to stand up and testify for the Lord Jesus. So what do I take? What do I take from, from this passage, right? We, we have to apply it to ourselves. And I'll share with you what I took out of it. And maybe some of that is helpful to you. Uh, and maybe there are other things that you will take out of this passage for yourself. Right? I would encourage you, don't leave here without applying it. Right? If you have experienced the Lord Jesus working in your life, right, this is what I take. I am called, I have experienced the, work, the Lord Jesus working in my life. Right? Uh, I am called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. That means developing a relationship with him and walking as he walked living as he lo- lived, serving as he served. You know, if you've never come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, perhaps this has kind of stimulated some thinking. What is this all about, right? Perhaps you've been coming to church, you've been listening, and you, you come to the realization, you know what, I, I really don't know what this disciple thing is all about, right? We're not called to be part of a club. We are called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus. If that's never happened in your life, if you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus and trusted him as your savior and come to the point of discipleship, that is something that you need to think about and make a a decision for. This man made that decision within possibly a couple of hours of meeting the Lord Jesus. He decided that he needed to be a disciple. And the second thing that I grab out out of this is that every disciple as they have opportunity, as the Lord provides them occasion, should testify 
to the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and the Samaria to the end, to the end of the earth. There is no higher honor than being an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, calling others to be reconciled to him. If that hasn't happened in your life first, that's, that's where it needs to start. You need to first become a disciple. And that happens through faith. It's not something you do. It's by believing that he died on the cross for your sins. Right? You become a disciple. You become saved. And then you have the opportunity to share with others. You know, I mentioned this. This man went from the start of his journey to being a bold witness for the Lord within, within a day, within a couple of hours. Where am I? It forces me to ask, where am I in, my, in that journey? Where am I? Where, where are you? May the Lord help each one of us to take up that challenge of being a true disciple of the Lord Jesus, and may he strengthen us to give a testimony, to give a witness for him. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the confident assurance that we can have that Jesus is ours. We can each have a story by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus, trusting that he died to pay for our sins. Oh, Father, we want to move on to discipleship. We want to move on to giving glory to you, praising you, and giving a witness to others, calling others to reconciliation, calling others into our relationship. Father, we ask your blessing upon these words uh, that, that the Holy Spirit would use them to minister to people's needs this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.